When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have a good cake. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> All right, welcome in everybody to another episode of the Always Soccer in Philadelphia podcast as we get set for a new Philadelphia Union season in 2022 and making his return to the program. We appreciate him coming on again. It's Philadelphia Union head coach Jim Curtin. Jim, how are you? Doing good, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I think you said last time that you thought there was going to be more drinking uh, involved in the podcast. Unfortunately, it's a le- we're recording at eleven thirty-four in the morning, so I just have water. I, w- I would crack a beer if it was later, but I haven't. I haven't drank it eleven a.m. since West Virginia days. It's, you know, so. it's the off season, so anything after ten a.m. is uh, is fair game. I think that's true, right? Although if I did, I if if I was you know drunk and writing for Crossing Broad, we might have an interesting. Uh, result on the website so yeah, um your commenters uh, seem drunk all the time i'm j- just kidding just kidding. yeah no i think that's another podcast for another time i could go on and on about that <laughs> for for uh yeah the level of uh responses that we get on social media you know so uh we'd like to just shut that down entirely but anyway we're not talking about uh any of that right now we're talking about my favorite sport soccer this is my safe space for talking about the game that i really like you know and i appreciate you coming back on and um, I'll just say, first off, congratulations on another great season, you know, semifinals of the playoffs, semifinals of the Champions League, um, amazing achievements. And it was fun to watch along the way. Obviously, it didn't end how everybody wanted it to end. And I would just ask if you have, like, found peace with that or if you've been able to bring any closure to the COVID situation or if it's something that still pisses you off. Yeah, I think we'll never have um, have complete closure just because, you know, the like in a lot of sports, it's the uh, the what ifs, and, and we'll never really truly know uh, what it would have looked like uh, with us at full strength, with, with New York City at full strength in our stadium. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to uh, lie to you and say you know it's in the past and we're moving on to next year because uh, again, there's so much you know unknown uh, with the situation. I, I think we navigated and handled it the best we could. It was uh, you know back to your first part. You know, it was a a great season. You know, it was uh, probably our most complete season, um, you know, from start to finish with, you know, gradually getting better throughout the year, you know, the run in champions league, like you mentioned, the the stadium against club America, where even when you go back and look at that two leg series, you know, we're a couple self-inflicted wounds uh, away from uh, taking one of the best teams uh, that there is in, in our region, um, you know, to, to giving them a real run for their money. Uh, so I was proud of that run. I think we learned a lot in those games. We got a, a lot of experience in elimination games, and that helped us in the playoffs. Uh, look, it, it's no secret that getting home field and being in Subaru Park for the, the end of the season um, was our goal. Uh, and once we got past that tricky Red Bull game with obviously some brilliance from Jacob Lesnes, uh, I think the, the, the fan base and the belief in the stadium, um, those were the memories that I'll always have. I know you, you were in, I think, for uh, one, of, one of the games or at least – um, if not all of them, but um, the feeling in there was was different. It was unique. It was the loudest it's ever been. Um, but yeah, we certainly still have regret because um, as as great of an effort as our group gave uh, against New York City in that final game, and I think made the fans in the city proud, 
um, we all want to win, you know, at the end of the day. And, and that wasn't us at full strength. Um, you always want to be able to say uh, you gave your best punch. I think certainly the, the guys on the field did that. But um, let's be honest, it wasn't our full team. That's for sure. I was really proud of those guys, you know, like watching Aurelian go out there, you know, he's like the same age as I am, you know, you know, and I'm like, Hey, I like for him to, if that's the last MLS game he ever plays, that's a way to, to remember it, you know, and yeah, Stewart stepping in and Leon was a beast in that game. And like, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like even though the way it ended, there's a lot to be, to be, you know, happy about without those guys. Yeah. I agree. So proud uh, for sure. And, and again, you know, we use Aurelian as the example and I say this all the time and, and I feel like young kids especially don't really listen or really understand what it means to be a professional. You know, anybody can be a professional when it's going good and you're winning and you're starting that those are the easy moments, but for Aurelian, there's a guy that didn't play minutes for two seasons, yeah. but still trained his butt off every day. Uh, and, and in his brain, the way his brain works, he, he thought I was going to pick him every weekend. You know what I mean? And that's the true definition of what it means to be a professional, always being ready, you know, uh, yeah. you know, and, and when you're called upon. And he really was and, and stepped up and was a great example for young players. And, and again, the performances in that game, I, I think only are are going to um, strengthen our group. You know, uh, Nathan Harriel, who we didn't expect a ton from this year, got a lot of valuable minutes to play in an Eastern Conference final. You know, I, I joked with him after the game. I said, look, man, I have a lot of great players and friends that I played with that never got to even play in a game like that in their careers, you know, yeah, and he's yeah. doing it early in his, his career. So, again, huge experience for the guys, uh, something that I think we were all proud of. Um, like you said, fans, media, uh, players, staff were proud of, but at the same time, it's, it's motivation for next year too. Let's take it macro because that's one of my favorite topics and something that you and I have talked about not just on the last time you came on the podcast, but when I was on the beat and I was down there all the time. And uh, I, I feel my, my take is this. I feel like this year's team selling that playoff run. Um, you made more inroads with the four for four type of fan or with the city than you did last year with the shield. And the way that I would explain that is, you know, I would tell people, well, they won their first trophy. And then people would say, well, what's the supporter shield? And I have to explain the supporter shield to them. And they're like, well, I don't get it. Or that's dumb or something like that. But when you can speak a language that they understand, which is a playoff run where Jacob's scoring bangers or where the stadium's rocking or you're on national TV. To me, that just resonated more with Philadelphia than maybe the shield uh, team during the COVID season. Absolutely. I agree completely. Uh, And and again, I I think there were, you know, we're still building our history. I know it sounds like we've been around for a while, but 10 years is 10 plus years is is still young. Uh, and, And we don't prior to the last two seasons, maybe we didn't have those, those benchmark moments, you know, uh, everyone will remember the Glessness goal. You know what I mean? And, and that's something that fans can look at and say, I was there. I remember it. I saw it or whatever it was. Uh, fans will remember the, the Andre Blake penalty saves. You know what I mean? These are these are moments that will people remember. People will still remember the craziness of the, the final game. Uh, they'll remember what it was like in against Club America in that stadium. Those are real memories for people um, as we build our history. And, and like you said, in the early days, Kev, we were we were so inconsistent. And I, I think the Philadelphia fan and, and getting into that, cracking that four for four and being that fifth team now um, that, that um, everybody respects in the city took time. And it, what it really takes is consistency. So when I go back and look at it, you can remember the games in, in, in 2015, 16, 17, we would we would beat a team 4-0, then we would go get smacked 5-1 the next week. So yeah. there was no consistency. We were in the in the minds of people, then we were out of the minds of people almost immediately. I, I actually went back and looked at it, and it's it's the thing I'm most proud of, of our players, of our team, of our staff, and of the club. 
um, in the regular season now, since since 2017, we've we haven't we haven't lost three games in a row since 2017. So that means now we're consistently solid. We might have a down game, but we're going to bounce back the next game. And I think that's what um, this city and, and Philadelphia fans kind of embrace, like just being consistent and knowing what you're going to get and giving everything each game. And, and to not be beat three times in a row since 2017, I think says a lot of our group and the, the improvements that the Philadelphia Union have made. Well, at the same time, too, you defeat the outlier narrative, you know, for people who totally. say, well, they had one good season one when off, they, right. they didn't they didn't play Seattle or Portland in the COVID year. Now people can't say that anymore yeah. because the season after winning the Shield, you went to the semifinals of, on the continent yeah. and in MLS Cup as well. So I think that goes a long way paired paired with the fact that we always talked about this on the podcast <laughs> where it's like Philly sports fan. I think four for four is a bullshit term anyway. And I told Gargano this when he had me on the show because I don't think Flyers fans really give a shit about the Sixers. I don't think Sixers fans give a shit about the Flyers. But if, if one team's really up or the other team's really up, they'll pay attention. But I think you guys benefited too from the fact that like the other teams were, were down at the time. And so that pulled a lot of natural eyeballs. And it was kind of like that perfect storm of you guys playing really well and enough of, you know, nonsense happening with the other teams that it was able to divert eyeballs at the same time. It's very true. It's a great observation. And and again, the, the whole four, four, four thing. I mean, I could have a, this, a whole discussion on, on flyers yeah. alone. They're, they're their own animal. You know, they kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they only like the flyers and look, I'll jump yeah. on. I, I like the flyers too, but I, I, I tend to jump more on the bandwagon when they make a run in the playoffs, but yeah. you're right. Um, I guess the, the best way I can put it is, People can talk and say soccer is this or soccer is that, but the reality is it's here and it is not going anywhere anymore. You know, it is, it is coming. And if you want to get on board, get on board. If you don't like it, that's fine too. But um, it's inevitably uh, here to stay. You turn on the TV, there's English league games. I can watch, I can turn on my TV right now and watch second division games all over the world and Mm -hmm. it's on ESPN. So Look, it's it's a it's a great sport. The rest of the world obviously gets it. I think more and more people in Philadelphia are getting it, but there's still going to be a certain demographic that uh, uh, I'll just say isn't going to change, and that's okay. We don't need those guys. Jim, what's the process like after a season ends? Do you and Ernst meet up with Jay? Do you go see him in New York, or does Richie get involved? Like, how do you guys kind of hash out the season and kind of like like parse what what just happened and, and plan for the next year? Yeah, it's a good good question. It gets broken down. You know, we obviously have player meetings at the end. Um, you know, it, it always comes to, to an end abruptly, you know, no matter what for everybody, uh, unless you obviously win MLS Cup, then you party a little bit. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it ends. Um, we have meetings with myself, Ernst, um, you know, formerly Chris, and, and we kind of sit with each individual player, put together a plan for them for the offseason. Um, they have their physical work that they're going to do in the offseason. Uh, and, and then, yeah, uh, there's there's owner's calls weekly. So myself, uh, you know, Ernst, uh, Tommy Wilson from the Academy, uh, Tim McDermott, you know, uh, and the, the three majority owners are all on the phone, you know, quite regularly. And, and we discuss different things. Um, the directions that we want to move, the strengths, the weaknesses of the team, where we think we can improve. Um, and we kind of talk through those things. So, um, yeah, there's always a strategy in place. I think it's clear now you know what our strategy is. It's to build from within. It's to, you know, be a cohesive unit and, and prove we can beat, you know, any any group of individual talent uh, and then be a little more innovative. And that's something that we want to build on uh, as we move towards a new season. But certainly the dialogue, the, the processes, um, you know, that gives you a little bit of a snapshot into, you know, who's talking on the phone, who's having the calls and, and who's, who's meeting. I did have a, uh, have a dinner with, with Jay Sugarman at the end of the year. It was very productive and, and good. 
Um, and, and hopefully now we can put together, uh, you know, another strong season. We're not sneaking up on anybody. That's something that we discuss yeah. now. Um, there's nothing that, you know, when, when people used to play the union, it was, you know, they, they knew we'd be tough to play against, but now we're talked about as a, you know, a, a top team in our league, which is an honor, but at the same time, it brings different challenges because we have to constantly find ways to improve, innovate, uh, and get better, uh, each season. For people like me who work regular jobs, you know, if you're looking for, a raise or a promotion or something else out of your boss, you would take what you did for that year, the year prior and say, Hey, you know, we had this many millions of page views and we did these kinds of stories and whatnot. And you kind of present it to them as, you know, your case for, for getting a little bit more. Is it, is that how it works in sports or do you go to, to Jay and ownership and say, Hey, we're this close. You know, we made it to the semifinals. We were this close to winning it all. You know, maybe like that little like final piece of investment might get us over the hump or is it more of a like collaborative kind of thing? How does that work? I think we all talk about that. I think, you know, the, the game tells the truth, right? I think everybody that watched our team play uh, could see we're, we're close, you know, we're, we're right there. So naturally our ownership knows that um, uh, they're always willing to, to invest, but they're not just going to throw money uh, at things blindly. Cause you've seen in our league now um, that maybe necessarily doesn't always work. There's examples of it working, but there's more examples of it failing and, and money getting thrown around and wasted in, in a bad way. I actually just saw a, a statistic in terms of the DPs this year, there's 60% of the DP slots are open right now, which is a really? kind of a crazy number. Yeah. Um, and, and I, in our own way, I think the Philadelphia Union has a little bit to do with that because I think more and more owners are looking at us and going, well, wait a second, having three good players necessarily doesn't guarantee the rest of the roster being strong. It's probably the easiest, safest way I can put it. And I think people are reevaluating things and that number just, I just saw it written and I couldn't believe it. So um, look, again, I know people want to, they see Insignia getting signed in Toronto and they, they think that, you know, why don't we just do that? Um, you know, it, it's not in our DNA right now. It's not in our model, but certainly uh, Jay Sugarman, when the time is right and, and we've proven that we can, uh, you know, sustain things. I think he, I, I not think, I know uh, that he will um, sprinkle in that, that big piece when it's needed. Uh, again, right now, I think we're in a good spot. Um, we don't need just one superstar isn't going to push it over the top or anything like that. So, and you see the risk that comes with that as well. You know, look at Kansas city, you know, uh, an incredible player that I'm sure will bounce back, but now um, $10 million and he's lost for next season. So if you put Jim's, your- Jim's talking about Polito, who's out Polito, for the sorry, season. Yeah. No, no, it's all right. It's, it's yeah. Actually, everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. A lot of Polito out, out for the season with that knee, like I got after yeah. surgery or something. Yeah. yeah. And look, Peter Vermees does a great job. He's an example of, you know, he gets the whole team going. They didn't just splash on one guy, but that's an example of yeah. a, a warning shot where it's not a guarantee guys. It's, it's really not. So um, we like the way that we're doing it. And when the time is right, um, whether it's two players, three players, whatever uh, the dollar signs and this, the, the number they want, we want to sprinkle in um, Jay and, and, and our ownership will do that. That's for sure. Um, kind of a three part question here, but just like a housekeeping item, um, anything you're comfortable, number one, anything you're comfortable sharing about the transfer market or what you guys are doing right now. Number two, uh, replacing Pat as an assistant coach. And number three, are you guys going to, um, have a technical director who kind of replaces Chris or does his job? Well, the first and foremost, the first one, um, look, the transfer markets, it's always going right now. Obviously we have players that are, um, you know, a a lot of teams in in Europe are interested in, Uh, you know, there's players that we're actively pursuing. Obviously, you know, we're on guard in case we do lose a a top piece at a certain position. Um, We're able to replace them. Um, But I would just, you know, tell our fans and, 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 and yourself, and I think you already know this, 
this stage of the transfer window, you know, before January 31st hits, every agent in the world right now is telling their player that they're going to get them in a top five league or, you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah. Yeah. once those promises start to fade and all the other teams sign guys and, and it gets a little later towards that January 31, all of a sudden I'll just say for a lot of players, MLS looks a little more interesting, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, if they're not going to Barcelona or Madrid, like their agents maybe promised them um, our league becomes. So what I'm getting at is, this early phase of the transfer window, not a ton happens. And you can see that all over our league. It's pretty dead. Uh, it's really not part. anything different. If I can draw a quick parallel here right. to like like a Ben Simmons situation where everybody's like, totally. well, you got to move him right now. Versus like you wait closer to the trade deadline and obviously things open up as you get closer to February 10th. Completely, completely a great analogy. And and when I say it gets chaotic in those last couple of days, it gets chaotic. You know, the the almost signings, the... The ones that you, you you thought you had that that disappear that wind up in another team, um, you know, it, it gets I don't want to say dirty, but it gets it gets crazy. It gets really heated, and and you know, look, I'll be honest, most of it's driven by agents, and most of it's BS. You know, so you have to navigate a lot of things. What's true? What's false? Um, what rumors are out there? But because uh, look, it's big business. There's millions and millions of dollars on these. Um, on these transfer fees. So agents are going to do everything to drum up interest in their guys. You have to sift through what's real, uh, what's not. You have people and, and you trust people um, like myself, like Ernst, who know how the league works, who know, who has so many great contacts uh, and, and just know that, you know, look, there's going to be some things that happen. Um, I can't give specific names on here, Kev. I apologize for that. But it's all good. That's why I ask an open-ended question. You know? yeah. I, I put the ball in your court. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd be stupid to do that. Um, so nothing's really concrete right now. Even the interest in our own players. You know, I'll use as, as an example. You know, I, I read. You know, Kai gets linked to to Watford and Udinese. Well, how many people in the world know that Watford and Udinese are owned by the same person? And Granada gets thrown in there. It's this yeah. web of of three teams that. Yeah constantly are coming up and, 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 and get used as in transfer talk. So that's an example that there's millions of them out there. Um, so again, until things are concrete, it's just talk. It really is just talk. Um, as far as replacing Pat Noonan, um, look, that's almost an impossible test. Pat was an incredible assistant coach. Um, we have a lot of really good candidates that Ernst and I have interviewed. Um, we're going through that process now. Uh, there's a lot of good options that are, have MLS experiences. There's a lot of good options uh, that don't have MLS experience that are, um, you know, from Europe or from the States. Um, and then there's also options in-house right here in our own academy, which is something that obviously I'm partial to because it's how I got my start, you know. So, um, you know, we're getting closer to making a final decision, but the process has been thorough and then a lot of really good candidates. Um, you know, Chris would fall into the same uh, the same ballpark, uh, not really a, a guy you can replace with one person. So I, I think you'll see us do that um, with multiple uh, new people. Um, so, you know, that's also an ongoing process. Um, Chris did so much uh, for this club, turning it into that consistent uh, perennial winner that, that I talked about. Um, I think it's no secret. My relationship with him is, is about as good as it gets. You know, we grew up playing together when we were 14, 15 years old and, and have worked to, uh, side by side now for the last, gosh, eight or nine years uh, at, at least. Um, so I always think it's funny. It's like when people, people come up to me and be like, Hey, did you know about Chris? And I'm like, guys, Chris is my best friend in the game and, and, and literally has an office that touches mine for the last 10 years. We talk every day. So yeah. yes, I was aware, you know what yes, I mean? Yes. Yes. I was very aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny. Sometimes <laughs> that happens. I'm sure you experience it as well, but it's always, uh, well, I would just say, it's funny too, because like MLS circles are very small. You know, and like you talk about agents and stuff like that, and like the the gossip that gets passed around and the 
the trash that's put out there is just like very like transparent to see through. But I got to be honest with you. I've never said this before on the podcast, but like when I was getting some scoops back in the day, I never talked to an agent, not once. Yeah. Not a single time because you just couldn't trust anything that like, there's always a motive behind it. You know, it's like always like for their client, you know? Yeah. Look, I, I have a good agent and I, I, I like them, but uh, yeah, I, I, get me off the topic of agents. I'll say something bad. <laughs> Let's segue into uh, like the fun soccer tactical kind of questions that they don't ask you about much at the press conferences. Um, you know, if I watched it, like kind of my takeaway from this year was, um, you know, defensively uh you guys were were amazing this year uh yeah. you know, but it, it wasn't like the high press of like the of brendan's right. year you know what i mean and if i learned anything or had a takeaway like i had a new like respect for how much running brendan aronson did the year prior and how much that contributed to like reading cues and getting up on guys backs and like pouncing on mistakes and sending that second guy and i i, I wonder if that was like a calculate did you guys pull pull back from the high press like as a calculated thing or did it just kind of happen you kind of have to based on the personnel that you have Uh, like you talked about brendan brendan um ran at a a distance and at a speed that when i say not many people in mls can do almost none in mls can do but now when he's even in europe he's running 13 14 kilometers which is as far as any guy over there is running you know and he did it at such a a volume it, it made it easy like okay he's going our system is based off the first guy getting pressure to the ball. He could always do it. So yeah. now everybody was pressing more together and higher. Um, look, so we had to adjust. We had to adapt. You know, uh, obviously uh, different p- personnel came in and, and we played a little bit different. I think Paxton, you saw, is starting to get more of that volume where early on he didn't have the ability to cover ground. But now when the data comes back, he's getting higher and higher and closer to his brother. Um, and he knows how we want to play now. I thought you saw Daniel Gazdag, who initially came in, um, and, and was more of a tactical, you know, wait and see kind of guy. But now he, at the, towards the end of the year, he was going and he was covering tons of ground yeah, and getting yeah. that first pressure to the ball rather than reading passing lanes. Um, so, look, I, we could talk about a, a million different ways, Kevin. I think you'll understand this, as a, especially as a defender. And I talk with Jesse about this all the time. I know it gets annoying when I talk when I bring up Jesse, but no, it's all good. When you get when you really break it down, we can talk about formations for hours uh, and, and, and is what's different out of a four, two, you know, three, one versus a four, four, two diamond versus a flat four, four, two. It really starts with your back line and I don't care. And I'm going to do, I'm going to play more of a back three, I, I believe in, in the future. But if you choose a back four, if you choose a back three, or if you choose a back five, that's your starting point. The defenders control space and, and, and they step and drop based on pressure to the ball. So if we decide like we do, we play in a back four for the pretty much, I'd say 99% of the time, it's the, it's the job of the six. I don't care what formation they're in. I don't care what shape they're in. It's their job to get pressure to the ball. And based on that pressure, now the back four can squeeze. If it's a back three, it's the same thing, but it's seven guys hunting the ball in front of the three. You know what I mean? So Really, more than ever now, I think the modern game has gone to a, 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 an area where the only thing that matters is what you decide to do with your back line, and the rest of the guys hunt the ball, you know, and, and make it predictable for the back back four. And you can squeeze and 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 have pressing cues, and you can. Uh, I, I'll reveal our our philosophy and our, our our tactic is based on data. We we put the weakest guy on the other team on the ball as much as possible. That's literally, it's so simple and it mm-hmm. sounds so easy, mm-hmm. but we want him to have the ball. We want him to make the game. So you'll see us now adjust. I, I, I was almost this close to using a name uh, as an example, but I don't want to do that. Oh, no, it's all <laughs> good. But I, I, I appreciate the, 
the detail in there because I think it helps articulate something I was trying to say on the post game show this year, which I, I think like I saw a lot of moments from you guys that were successful where they were like direct transition after winning the ball, but it wasn't necessarily from turning guys over in their own half of the field. You right. can win a Jose can win a ball and then Sergio can go on a run and you can play direct transition to him right off of that win. Absolutely. Same, with, same with Jacob and same with same with um same with Jack Elliott at the same time. You know, so whereas it wasn't like I think everybody kept saying like high press, high press, high press. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't like high press, but you can go direct transition based off winning the ball anywhere on the field. Yeah, and if you think about it, teams are most vulnerable and open the the second they lose the ball because now they're they're in an attacking shape. They have their outside backs forward, and and sometimes it's good to let them come a little bit because it creates that space that you talk about in behind. So, um, yeah, we we love teams that want to be really wide and open and expansive and and, and keep possession because we know eventually they're going to make a mistake. Soccer is a game of mistakes, and when we do turn you over. Um, you're most vulnerable in those first five seconds after we steal the ball. So get it forward quickly. I, I know you think that the idea of like, you know, formation is a little overrated and I would tend to agree, but I think like the main tactical wrinkle kind of that you guys have evolved from, from 2019 to now is, you know, when Ernst came in and you guys started in the diamond, you know, you'd often shift to the four, two, three, one in the second half. And you still had like overlap on the roster that left you natural wingers like Fafa, right. you know, or yeah. El Senior or whatever. And, you know, that's kind of gone away as the roster is like shaped to be more of what you guys want it to be. But now the wrinkle was going to the Christmas tree this year. And I'm, I'm wondering yeah. like, if you, if you like the Christmas tree and you think it's something that you're going to hang on to for next year, if that was more of just kind of like a product of circumstance. Yeah. Look to your point, uh, personnel dictates some things. So when we would change into the four, two, three, one, we had a guy like El Sino who could literally win us a game. And if you go back and look at that year, he won us like 19 points. Like it was absurd. Yeah. It was yeah. a, it was an outlier of a year. It was off the charts. Obviously, he battled some injuries uh, after that. But, yeah, the, the luxury of having some wingers to change formation is, is a good one. I think it's something that we, we're talking about internally now to maybe adding, you know, one or two guys that um, give a little more uh, pace and a little more 1v1 ability uh, out wide. It doesn't necessarily have to be a winger, but someone who can beat the first guy. I think that's a, yeah. a real lost art in our game yeah. um, and it is, is really, really uh, important as you look at it, but no, as we've evolved now to, you know, through the seasons from, from 19 to now, um, we have gone to that Christmas tree and I'll be honest, going into it, we went out of it in necessity because we didn't have two forwards in form or healthy, uh, at certain moments. So we looked at the personnel, uh, and I was nervous going to it because the, the pressing cues are a little different because we usually target our pressing cues to the first pass to the outside back. And that's when we go. And now you don't have two guys to do that. You just have the one. Yeah. So Casper's job now became keeping it on one side and, and Miro on the left would have to release all the way out to the outside back. And Daniel would have to come all the way over underneath to take away uh, a six. They did it great and it worked. So, um, you know, these things, um, sometimes you stumble into them and you go, you know what? I actually like this. It, 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 in certain moments, it's harder for teams to break us down. And when we win the ball, we have an extra guy centrally as, as almost like a second 10 in there. So um, has good, good and bad. No, no question about it, but it's something yeah. that I, I really, I did like. And especially when you only have um, one informed striker or one healthy striker at the moment, um, it's something that we can use. I, I I enjoyed watching it and like I've, I've my listeners are probably rolling their eyes because I referenced this like a hundred times before but the only other like Christmas tree team that I could even really think of in the past is that AC Milan team that had yeah. like Gattuso on one side and like Ambrosini on the other side yeah. but then I think they I think they had like Sadorf and Kakav kind of like standing next to each other 
Yeah. And, but it's, but it's not, it's not like common. Like I can't even really remember anybody else who played anything like that. Yeah. And then look, you could call even, even that formation, you could call it a, you could call it a four, one, two, two, one, you know what I mean? Cause it looks yeah. that way with certain players and, and Jose has an ability to be by himself, which it is a, is a lost art. Really. There's not many guys that can sit there and cover the ground um, as a one in front of a back four that he covers. So yeah. um, that, that really helps us. And then Bedoya's intelligence of, of knowing when to join Jose, yeah. um, you know, it, 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 it suited us and it worked good, but yeah, you could go through, gosh, some of those, uh, some of those AC Milan teams are, those are some legendary teams. They certainly yeah. had some. Uh, yeah. I mean, my, my listeners can tell that, yeah, like Nesta was one of my favorite players to watch ever. So I feel like I've referenced that same damn Milan team like every time. Uh-huh. Here. But, I played um, against that team sneakily. Uh, back in my fire days, we played them in the, in a, in a mid season game. And it was like, uh, it was Nesta and Maldini were, were still there. Uh, yeah. I got to trade jerseys with Maldini afterwards. That was like, I almost cried. <laughs> did you really? Wait, when did, so was that, did you go over there? Or did they come oh, over five. here? They came to, we played them in soldier field in, I think it was 2005. Nice. Um, that nice. was, uh, they had, I mean, Catuso was there. He yeah. was a maniac. I, I saw him in the locker room after I saw AC. I saw AC when I lived in Atlanta for a couple months, I saw AC Milan play club America down there. It's a yeah. preseason friendly, right? Catuso got in a fight, tried to fight the entire club america team so that that to me kind of uh told me what kind of play, <laughs> what kind of competitor he was you know fi- fighting with a fighting an entire 11 uh in yeah. a preseason game in atlanta but um you mentioned ali bedoy i have like an oddly specific question about him and leon um because i you know i think it's interesting you know when you're playing the diamond um you talk about like getting like attacking contribution maybe from one of those number eights from one of the box to box guys and like Leon put out so many fires and he was a great cue reader. I think he did so much well this year. I think we'd all probably agree that his offensive game really is, is, is fledgling, right? Because it's not, you know, he's a, he's always, he'd been a utility knife kind of hybrid guy, you know? Yeah. And um, on the other side, like, look, Ali's, Ali's not getting any younger, you know, he still makes a lot of his smart runs and like those incisive like reads into the channel and whatnot. But I'm curious how, how much the success of, of the, diamond is predicated on getting something going forward from at least one of the shuttlers or if you feel like you can have two like more defensive minded guys in there and still create enough chances off of it yeah look I, I think you'll see us this year utilize um a Quinn Sullivan a little bit more you'll see us utilize uh Jack McGlynn a, a little bit more um and, and there could be instances where you know if you talk with Leon, his, his number one position is still as a, a six. He likes to, yeah. to sit in there. So yeah. we asked him to do a little bit more. Um, and then he, look, he did great for us. Um, you know, we've talked with him about uh, improving certain parts of the attacking game. Um, he actually runs and dribbles with the ball really, really well. I think he should actually do it more um, uh, than he does. I think sometimes he plays a little too safe and he just wants to get the ball off his foot because he prefers the defensive side. Um, but I think that'll be be something that evolves with him. You forget he's still only 20. He's, he's still a baby. You know I what know, I mean? He's I know, still yeah. in the game. He played so many minutes and did so great for us. Um, look, Ali, Ali's been the, the, the lifeblood of this club. Uh, he's a leader. He's a winner. Every time you think he's going to slow down, he, he just puts in you know, more and more minutes and, and covers so much ground. We do have to be smart with him this year, though, um, because we want him – uh, you know, obviously playing in the biggest games at the end of the season uh, as fresh as possible. Uh, but he'll want to play every minute of every game. That's just how he's wired. Yeah. Uh, but we will find ways to, you know, in certain games, if Jose's away with the national team, as an example, we have Bueno. You could pair, pair Bueno and, and Leon in there together. You could put Ali in there because he's so smart um, and he can figure it out. So there's a lot of different options. 
I joke with Ali all the time. At, at some point, at the very end of his career, whenever that is, he'd be an amazing right back because his timing of when to get forward is, yeah. is really good, and he's smart enough. You know, he, you know, Graham Zusi isn't the fastest one v one, but he survives out there because he's so intelligent. And then yeah. I could see Ali doing that for an extra, adding extra years to his career. No, and I had, I, I had. Um... Matt Matt Doyle on the show during the year of armchair analyst from MLS yeah. soccer. And we were trying to, I asked him, like, can you help me explain my Alejandro Bedoya take? Because I don't, unless you guys have second spectrum data that I don't have, I don't know how you can, how you, how you package and like tweet or write about somebody's ability to recognize space. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I could never really elaborate on what Ollie does well, because I can't, I can't do it without just like showing you a video clip or something. Yeah. They're getting closer to that with the data, but they're still haven't perfected it. You know, they're starting to realize now these guys that, that move and create space for others just by their movement uh, and, and being in the right spot, they might not get as many ball wins, but because they're in the right spot, they force the opponent to go sideways or backwards. They're Mm -hmm. starting to quantify that. So that's a stat that Ali would all of a sudden become off the charts at, you know what I mean? Cause he's yeah. so smart out there. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're working towards getting better at that, but you're right. It, it only shows up uh, uh, with the eyeballs, you know what I mean? What you see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a quick follow up on that. And then I, know I got two more for you. Do you guys like data and how much do you use it? Is there something that you really look at? And is there another stat that's bullshit or like, how do you look at advanced analytics now? Of course. Yeah. Look, our, our, um, our third pillar is innovation. So we have to be at the, the cutting edge of, of technology. I'll give a little bit of insight with the, the second spectrum data that you had. We were on that three, four years ago, we had that. So for two full seasons under Ernst, we were getting that data when the rest of the league wasn't. So it was a real advantage for us. Now, granted, we could only get it in our home stadium because the cameras are different and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it was a huge competitive advantage. Fast forward now, the league cuts a deal with Second Spectrum. Now everybody has it. Yeah. Uh, so we have to innovate and, and, and move on and, and find another little advantage um, that we, we utilize. I think it's clear now um, we don't give a you-know-what about just possession as, as they measure it on a – it's a useless statistic. It's been proven, you know, obviously teams that are losing more are going to have the ball more. So you don't want to be – you don't want to lose. So yeah. Yeah. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really equate. We want to know um, – you know, how, what you do with that possession and, and where is that possession and are you creating chances? Are you creating, we, we value penalty area entries uh, a ton, you know, just the simple logic of yeah. more entry balls into the red zone, you're more likely to score. How many numbers do we get inside the red zone at any given time? We always want three at, at a minimum, three bodies in there. We hope for five, you know, because just more chaos can happen uh, when you get more numbers into that red zone. And then defensively, it's the same thing. You know, we, we constantly are, are talking about contact on clearances, defending the red zone. You know, we really have done a good job in the last um, several seasons of, of dominating that, that penalty area uh, defensively and, and offensively. We've done a good job too. But yeah, there's, there's a ton of advanced data and stuff that, that we could get into. Um, yeah. We're very much into it. We have to be. Um, at the end of the day, sometimes it can be overload. There's no question about it. When you when you get you know the the 200 page uh, stat sheet that said, and then the, the the final conclusion is don't let Tati Castellanos touch the ball inside the 12. It's like yeah, I, I got it. <laughs> yeah, That's, no shit, right? We understand. <laughs> we got the idea. Yeah, uh, but, you know. So, but you have to you have to sift through it and find the data that works for for you. The one thing I would say in Philadelphia that we've done a really good job of, um, we've catered our data to us not to the LA Galaxy or Toronto or to LAFC. 
or, or Cincinnati, we do it to what suits the Philadelphia Union player, you know, and that is more aggressiveness, ball winning, uh, covering ground, the sprint data, all those things that we kind of put in and almost make a, the best way I could describe it, Kev, is actually like a, a quarterback rating. You know how they come up with a quarterback rating? You can call it BS if you want. It doesn't really matter. It does spit out a, a pretty decent metric of, of what that player is. Yeah. But we do that kind of for each Philadelphia Union position and each Philadelphia Union player, and we kind of break it down and we compare our guys um, to the rest of the league. Sorry for the long answer. but No, I appreciate it. Are you kidding me? I could go on forever, but I won't keep you forever. Uh, <laughs> I, only have, I only have two more, and we got to talk about center backs because that's the best position. In the sport, probably the best position in any sport, if we're being honest. Um, you played it at a high level. I played it at a very, very low level. But um, I think the last time you came on the podcast, I was just gushing uncontrollably about Mark McKenzie's 2020 yeah. season. And I, I feel like Jacob and Jack were just were phenomenal this year. And um, I don't know how I can describe this, so I came up with an analogy um, and a statistic. Andre only faced 11.5. You guys only like gave up like 11 something shots per game. I think it was like you were like almost bottom of the league and just allowing shots from other teams. Uh And like Jacob and Jack just always looked like they were like in control and just like they were seeing the field and they were reading what was coming to them. And what I would say is that like, I don't feel like you even have to put out fires when you're not really allowing fires to begin in the first place. And I just feel like they did such a good job with mitigation um, that it was just like impressive to watch. Yeah, I mean, before I even talk about those two, uh, I've said it a hundred times to any coach out there that'll listen or any GM in MLS, if you have a good goalkeeper and two center backs, you will be in every game. You'll be in every game. You might not win every game, but it is critical. And and center back, when you look out uh, throughout the league, I'll just say there's a lot of bad ones. There's not a lot of good ones. So um, the teams that have good ones um, have success. And, And those two guys, uh, knock on wood are, are, are durable. They stay healthy. Uh, you know, we're very fortunate even to have Stuart Finley, who was amazing uh, when called upon as well. And is a yeah. starter anywhere else in the league. It's just a, a situation where we had two guys that had a great season. So um, the, the job that they did this year was, it was incredible. Um, they're dealing with you know top attacking talent where everybody's spending their millions and millions of dollars in our league is, is certainly on the attacking pieces. Um, and, and those two, have a really good partnership with each other. You have to remember too, Jack's playing on his weak foot uh, on that left side and, and doing a great job, much like Mark McKenzie did as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, excellent. Uh, you know, I still will say, you know, sometimes this league is unfair. I actually, I think back to myself again, selfishly, I had uh, probably my best season in 2003 and I didn't get any accolades. I was awful in 2004 and they named me an all-star, but they based it, they based it on your previous work. So I think Jack and Jacob, what I'm getting at is it takes a little longer for people to notice good defenders. And and now I think they have enough equity and enough time in the league that those individual accolades will come. Not that the game's about individual accolades. It's a team game. Um, but they certainly deserve um, that kind of recognition um, and credit for, for the, the years that they've had. And again, Kev, you know it as well as anybody, um, the center back position, it helps to have good teammates as well. You need teammates around you. Uh, I'll use an example of, of you know, uh, Omar Gonzalez had a tough year this year in Toronto because he's called upon to make 25 plays rather than, you know, five or six that he's used to when he was with the Galaxy. Watch now when he's now on New England Revolution this year, he'll look amazing because he is still a great player. Yeah, He's yeah. just not called upon to make a million different plays, you know, and isolated in space like he, like he was 
on a team that struggled. So but if you think, if you think about like, like say Jack, for instance, he looks in front of him, he's got Jose standing there. He looks to his left. He's got Kai standing there. He looks behind him. He's got Andre there. He looks to his right and Jacob's there. Like you can't like, really, you can't, yeah. you know, be surrounded no by a better group, you know, there's no weakness. And that, that gives you confidence as a center back to say, you know what, I'm always going to go forward and be aggressive and defend yeah. forward. Not, when defenders get in trouble is when they start to backpedal and allow these clever players to turn and face you and you're backpedaling, you're dead. No one can defend that way. Um, so again, yeah, the, the quality around you helps and there's examples of it all over the world. You know, center backs usually are pretty cerebral and consistent. So I always think it's funny when people say all of a sudden certain guys can't defend or now they're good. It really is, is the guys around you that help you out as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the last one for you. It was actually a question I meant to ask you the last time. I just completely forgot, but it's something that I ask every like former coach or player who comes on the show. And um, what I would ask is, um, you know, fans and media like to talk about a lot of different things and might blow things out of proportion or might talk about things that they think are, are important, but you guys don't think are important. And I'm wondering if there was anything that the media or fans um, if you think there's anything that fans and media focus on or put too much stock in, what is that? And what would you ask them to kind of focus on instead? Oh man, that's a tough one. I'll give you an example. Like I asked Ryan Richter that question like two years ago. And he said, he asked if people could pay more attention to like what people were asked to do specifically. Like you might criticize a fullback for not like bombing forward all the time, but maybe his coach didn't even ask him to do that. Yeah, You know what I mean? So like, like there's stuff that maybe we don't understand that you guys are privy to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to be more critical of the media, but no, I'm just kidding. No, by all means. I mean, if there's, if there's a platform for it, it's this one, you know, (laughs) I'm totally joking. Um, (laughs) No, look, uh, the one thing that does pop into my mind that always, always bothers me. This is more like a pet peeve than anything else. So I'm just venting my own, uh, my own opinions on things. When media do, and they do it in every sport, basketball, baseball, football, X, X team or X player hasn't won since da 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 And there's no context of like, well, how many times did they, they, they have they even played in that time? Like they'll include like the off season. You know what I mean? Call, <laughs> they haven't won in seven months. And you're like, well, for four of them, we haven't played a game. You know, like that one drives me insane. I think yeah. it's the laziest the laziest criticism and I see it all the time in in the NFL and NBA soccer too it'll be like x team hasn't done x statistic in however long and it always it does it grabs your attention because you're like oh my god they haven't they haven't beaten whoever in four years and then you look back and you're like oh they played once and it went to overtime and they lost the penalty kicks it's like you know it's not you know, or like, or like Tom, or like the Buffalo Bills haven't beaten, you know, the, or, you know, the Jets lost X amount of times to Tom Brady when they were rolling out a backup and like they were playing the best <laughs> right. quarterback of all time. You know, it's like the, the contextless, like sexy, you know, tweets. Correct. That one, that one always gets me. And I want to always, when I see them, I want to speak up and speak out against them. But then you kind of go, you just sound like a complaining a-hole if, if I speak out against it. So I just, you just stay quiet and I go, know. oh man. But those are some, sometimes they're a little bit, uh, I'll just call them lazy, lazy statistics. I'm, I'm, I don't like lazy uh, trends. You know, I, I think if, if you break it down and you say and give the full context of why it's happening, I'm yeah. all for it. And, and I, I think criticism is needed and accountabilities should be there. But those, those blanket statements, man, I wish, I wish yeah. you could 
wish you could get rid of those. <laughs> well, it's like fighting an uphill battle, you know. It's like you're never going to win that fight. It's like when Miles Sanders comes out and he asks Eagles fans to stop booing him, and I'm like, hey, he may have a perfectly legitimate, he may be 100% right here, but you're going like one versus like you're going to lose every time. And again, uh, to any Philly athlete, coach, whoever it is out there, you, the, the players and coaches have never once ever, ever in the history of Philadelphia won against the fans. You know what I mean? So when you come out and say <laughs> something stupid like that, you're going right. to lose every time. Even right. you know, happened with Tobias the other day where he, he says the little, little blip to the fans, it, you're never going to win. So uh, again, uh, be smarter. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost like a rite of passage. Like you, you bottom yeah. out, you get booed and then you play well and everybody's cool about it. That's a nice thing yeah. about living in a city where the fans do emotional knee jerk reaction, because just as, <laughs> as soon as you're on the shit list, you're right off of it again. Yeah, right? that's so, true. Um, Jim, listen, thanks. I appreciate the time. Um, congratulations again on another fantastic season. And, uh, you know, it was just nice to see you know, like radio hosts tweeting about the union and going to the games and, and getting on the bandwagon and being supportive. And uh, you just hope it, it continues into next year. Yeah, no, I agree. I think in terms of growth uh, in, in the city, you know, when you step back and look at it, I think this was our biggest step forward this year. You know, everybody, you know, was talking about us, you know, all the other teams in the city. And uh, like you said, the media coverage was higher than ever. You know, you, you look at the inquire and you have, you know, three or four, pages worth of, of, of soccer information. It's great. So uh, we were happy with, with the year. Um, we still know we have a lot of work to do and uh, this game can be very humbling. So the second you get comfortable, you got to recognize um, you can lose it just as quickly as you gain it. So um, great season, a lot to build on. Uh, thank you to the fans for everything. And this was a good, good time coming on with you, Kev. I always appreciate uh, your knowledge of the game. And it was a uh, you know, good conversation. It was fun to, to talk about uh, some of the, the, the greater details of some of the positions and the tactics. Of I appreciate it. I'm always happy to talk uh, high level center back talk with, with some, <laughs> somebody who played at a much higher level than I did. I, didn't, so. I just had good teammates, man. Like I said, back to my <laughs> earlier points, I had good players around me. When, when Carlos Bocanegra and CJ Brown are on your right and left, it's a, uh, it's an easy job. <laughs> well, give you, give yourself some credit too. You know, those were, those were good uh, teams from one to 11 on the Chicago fire. You know, I was 11. I was the worst one. I can say that with confidence, but it was a good group. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. Jim, thanks for the time as always, and uh, we'll do it again, all right? Thanks a lot.